0: You it, like just My and what I recognize for I want to be defeated. I want to be, I don't wanna be, I don't wanna be Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Lead Singer Syndrome. My show. I'm your host, as always, Shane Told. Very nice to have you on Tuesday, May 21st? 21st today. Crazy, man. This year is flying by. Uh, wow. I, I don't know. It's it's uh, The weather here is still pretty shit. But hey, you know, I live in Canada. What do you want from me? So first things first, I got to apologize for my voice. I'm sure you can hear it. Through this very nice microphone. I am a little congested. I don't know. The doctor says he thinks it's a sinus infection, gave me some antibiotics. I don't know. It's a little better than it was, but I don't know. We just this diagnosis these days, man. Like, you don't, you don't, you still don't know if it's a cold or if it's something bacterial or whoever knows. Um, And this time of year is brutal for me. I don't know what it is, the, the change of seasons, but, uh, Sorry, I will keep this intro short so you don't have to listen to my sick-ass voice. But, great news and a great episode, and I am so happy to finally bring you my conversation with Ben Jorgensen of Armor for Sleep, a band that literally put out two incredible records, not a great third record, and dropped off the face of the earth uh, pretty much never to be heard from again. That is armor for sleep in a nutshell. But before they dropped off the face of the earth, Ben and I were very close friends. I would put him right up there with one of you know the closest friends that I met touring. And as these things happened, we just sort of fell out of touch. And when I started the show, and we touch on this in the episode, but he was definitely in the real short list of people that I wanted to talk to and catch up with. And that's a beautiful thing that I love about doing this show is just personally that I get to talk to old friends and say, hey, man, you want to like chat for an hour? When do you get to do that with somebody you haven't spoken to in like 10 years or maybe longer? Very, very cool. And uh, I want to thank Ben so much for his honesty, for taking the time to do this. And man, this is a band that I don't think... People have forgotten about because those two records that I mentioned are so good. But if you did miss the boat on Armor for Sleep, go back, listen to what to do when you're dead, listen to Dream to Make Believe, because these records are fire, absolute fire. Before we get into that, as always, if you want to get in touch with me, hit me up. You can email me, syndrome at gmail.com. Follow me on social media at Shane told at lead singer sin or syndrome, depending on your platform. I don't know if anyone even puts in the name of it anymore. People just search and if it doesn't come up, they, they say forget it. So whatever. Check it out. Don't check it out. It doesn't matter. But hey, you know, I looked at the Instagram numbers the other day. We've got over 11,000 followers for the podcast, which is pretty cool considering I don't really post much except who the guest is this week. Uh, Maybe I need to step that up, but I do want to give a shout out to all the Instagram followers out there. You know who you are. And also, uh, make sure you follow us on Facebook as well because there's actual stuff going on there. So uh, yeah, again, just search. I don't know the URL, but thank you very much for all that. If you want to help out the show... You can write a review on iTunes. That matters, preferably five stars. You can say some nice words or not. It's really all good. If you don't like the show, if you're like, dude, you're sick. You should not be speaking to me. Then uh, you can call the hate line. I don't always talk about the hate line, but I love getting the messages one six five seven six 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 hate. Give that a call. Leave a message. And you can really let me have it. You just let loose, you know? Just 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 go nuts on me. I don't mind. Again, the number 666 hate. And if you are a big fan of the show, if you want to help me out, please check out the All Access Club. Basically, you get bonus episodes, great interaction with other fans of the show, merch, question and answer sessions with me every month. We do meetups all over the world. We're just coming off Centerfest 2.0 in Norfolk, Virginia. That was a great time. And it only costs as little as $6 a month to get you in. You're going to make friends. You're going to have a good time. Check it out. Leadsingersyndrome.com slash all Access. Join 300 plus other people from all over the world. It doesn't matter where you're from. We don't charge more if you're international or any bullshit like that. I'm international, okay? So I know the pain. Check it out. Again, the link Leadsinger Syndrome.com slash All Access. So if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Thank you so much. There's another like 175 episodes to check out. So yeah, go nuts, go back, go listen to whatever. But something regular listeners of the show hopefully have noticed is the music that I put in the show. Obviously, I play a song at the end and I play a clip, you know, right here. I'm about to play a clip and I agonize over these musical choices because I know a lot of people out there might not be familiar with the artist or familiar with their music and I want people to check out the bands and I want to play a clip that is going to grab you in like 30 seconds but I will say this I know exactly what riff I'm going to play for this one the song at the end I'm still kicking tires on anyway here's my conversation with Ben Jorgensen of Armor for Sleep. What's up man? What's up man? How are you? I'm great man. How are you? Dude, I'm fantastic. It is it is awesome to talk to you. I haven't we haven't talked in like years.
1: Um I I know. I can't even I can't even remember the last time we talked. It must, I mean it was definitely the last time we saw each other, but I don't even
0: know. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I, I like usually there's like oh I ran into you at some sh- like random show or something, yeah. but I like don't even think so. Like I I don't think I've seen you since like since armor for sleep was together.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And probably, you know, I probably, it wasn't probably the last time I saw you, was like a couple of years before we stopped doing our thing. So it was probably like 10 years ago or something, yeah. which is insane.
0: Uh, exactly. exactly, Yeah. And it's, that's, that's what I was like, you know, just poking around looking at some like old dates and stuff. Cause mm-hmm. I, I like thought about, you know, talking to you. And it's funny cause when I started this podcast, you know, and you just kind of go in your mind like, okay, who are some people that I like know really well that I would like mm-hmm. to enjoy talking to you on this thing, you know, and catching up with. And of course, your name came up like in my head, like in probably the top like 3 people. And I've done 175 not- episodes before <laughs> before this one, which is just so weird. I'm not offended. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> no, you know, I mean,
1: um I've been I've been keeping up with the podcast man. First of all, I think it's it's fucking awesome that Thanks, uh, you've been doing it for so long. Thanks man. Um second of all, um I I've been like going through kind of like picking picking through like um you know the people that I know best and listening right. to your interviews with them and it's it's just it's great man. Um Thanks. So congrats. Man.
0: It's yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a lot of fun and especially reminiscing some of the old times and just, you know, just like I think I'm going to have a smile on my face the whole time we're talking today just remembering <laughs> like the old days but um Totally, man. but no it's it's crazy yeah it's been 10 years I guess since you guys called it quits. And you yes. know what? I can I'm just remembering now I ran into Anthony Yes. and PJ at like you know how all the bands park in Secaucus, like at that hall yeah. holi- at that Holiday Inn. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I swear we were there on a day off and so were you guys or something. And I feel like that's the last time I saw – I remember seeing them. I don't even know if, know if I saw you. But I feel like oh, that's the last time I maybe saw any of you guys.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that's where all the buses would, would meet up. Yeah, I remember we would run into different bands that were like coming and going based on like their buses being parked there. Yeah, I know. It's such a weird
0: thing. Maybe we shouldn't put that on the record. Like all these fans are going to go meet all these bands at the Holiday in the caucus. <laughs> but that's where everyone parks. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, that's no dude. It's it's been it's been wild. And um, yeah, man, I don't even know where to start. But um, maybe we should just start from the first time we met. Do you remember?
1: I actually I don't I don't remember meeting a lot of people. I specifically (laughs) have a vivid memory of the first time I met you guys. Okay. uh, Okay. It'll just be interesting if if we have the same memory. I know. So furnace fest. Is that what you're gonna say? 100% what year was that? Two thousand three. Uh, t- Two thousand three. Um, Alabama, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did Dillinger Escape Plan were they one of the headlining things? I want to say I thought it was Dillinger, but it may not have been.
0: I remember like Taking Back Sunday played. Oh yeah. And I think Andrew WK was mm-hmm. like one of the bigger ones, and I think Hum played.
1: Oh, did Hum play? I don't remember that. That's yeah. awesome.
0: But it was such a weird festival because they they'd been doing it for years, and and then like. It's like Alabama, okay, and we've never played Alabama since. That was the first and last time we ever played Alabama in two thousand three. But we were so obsessed with your record, yeah, Dream to Make Believe, (laughs) and we would listen to it in the van. I don't even know where we got it, and we would listen to it in the van, and we'd listen through the whole thing. And like you know, CD players back in those days, like in your car, when they would finish, it would just repeat, right? Like Mm -hmm. so, we we'd be on this like long drive and the record would end and instead of like going to put on another CD, it would be like, eh, just no one would say anything. We'd just listen <laughs> to it again. So I remember so like funny. we were so stoked to actually like see you guys yeah. play. And I remember yeah, well, it was a yes, rough show
1: for you guys.
0: Well, do, do you know why it was a rough show? I don't, I don't remember that exactly. No.
1: Oh, I remember exactly. It, I think this is correct. This is the first time I had ever played outdoors like at any kind oh, of like festival thing Oh yeah um, and so i didn't know a thing happened where when you look down at your tuning pedal in the daylight like you can't see yes. the um the, like the, the digital display yeah. yeah you need to like later on i think we would like put up a piece of cardboard to give it some shade that's what you do but, so that was the people yeah, take like, like an old show. guitar
0: string pack usually right and they put it yeah. over the the tuner so they can see the light yeah
1: yeah. I mean, we were, we were probably terrible at that point anyway, if everything had been <laughs> in tune, but I just remember like in the middle of the first song I tried to tune and I just couldn't see anything. And I, I think I just gave up trying to tune the guitar. And again, we were, um, we were not good at that point, but I, I do remember, I remember like, um, the first time I met Billy too, he was like super stoked to like meet us cause he knew the record. And yeah. I just, I remember, I remember being like, Whoa, that's weird. That's like a, a guy in a band who like, and, like all of you guys, but especially Billy was such a like a, a connoisseur of, you know, like awesome bands that yeah, I like as well. Yeah, Yeah. yeah of course. Well, he actually um, saw,
0: he actually saw you guys play because I think you played in Toronto yeah. with like Hey Mercedes, like before oh, yeah. you before you had anything out. And he right. liked, and he was like all about you guys. So that's probably, you know, why we knew why we knew about you guys was through Bill. Yeah. 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 That's crazy though. No, I remember it was yeah, it was a like a rough performance. And not that Silverstein was any better. I mean, there's actually a video of us playing it at Furnace Fest, which I don't want to even tell people because we are terrible. Like really? we're so bad. Like you guys bad. are always good. Oh, we were so bad. <laughs> but you know, I mean like we'd only been it was like our second tour ever, you know? Yeah. We didn't know what we were doing. And you know Oh
1: really? That was your only second tour ever? I thought I, you guys had been doing more stuff at that point.
0: <sighs> I don't think so. I, I don't remember when Furnace Fest was like, I guess, assume it was like in the summer. Cause our first record mm-hmm. came out in May of 2003 and we didn't really tour before that. So right? yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. It's crazy, crazy. back to those days. Um, but a lot of things, a lot of things that, you know, like I want to go back, I really want to go back and talk yes. about everything. Um, yeah. but one of my favorite little tidbits I just thought about was how you guys were originally signed to Victory Records. Well, well, almost. you were talking. You were talking to Victory, <laughs> yes, Victory Records, is what I mean. For sure, and, and there's a very funny signed. story there. Yes, and, and no one knows that really. Nobody knows
1: that. Yeah, I was wondering if even you knew that. That's funny.
0: Well, I knew it because you guys had the Wanderers Guild song yes, on the Victory yes. style comp. Uh huh. And then I, I just I remember that was like weird because they're not on Victory. They're on Equal Vision. So I think I asked, maybe I asked you or someone in your, in your crew Mm -hmm. and I, and I heard the whole story about how you like basically had the deal on the table and you were going to sign it. And then, so Tony put you on the comp and then it Mm -hmm. didn't work out.
1: Yeah. Well, so we can go back a tiny bit further than that, but, um, basically the story is that they, they sent us a contract and. Um, we were basically like, okay, like we're not going to commit. Like we went and like got a lawyer or whatever to like look at it. Um, and you know, we had a different guitar player at the time, this kid, Paul, um, who would only be in the band through like the recording of dream to make believe, um, who I don't think you met, but he was the one who talked to them at the time. And what Tony communicated to Paul, um, was that, uh, I know, I know the contract's not signed, but we want to put you on this comp regardless of if you sign or not. And um, Paul relayed to him, like, okay, like, as long as you understand that, like, that doesn't guarantee that we're going to sign this contract that you just sent over, that, like, you know, they were just doing it as a favor. And then, you know, once the process kind of, like... Um, got underway, and we realized that the contract was probably, you know, not what we wanted to do. And we said we weren't going to sign from him uh, to them. Then, like Tony, flipped out, and I believe, I, I think he threatened our lives at some oh, point.
0: Oh, I have no doubt. <laughs> um, I mean, I I, 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 I mean, it's possible that it was like. You know, a bit of a strong arm tactic. You know, to like, we're gonna put you on this comp. You better sign this contract. You know, I mean, I don't know, I don't know, but it's and I mean, mean, to be fair, that that
1: comp um was kind of huge for us at the very beginning, um, because that's before we had anything out, and yeah, you know, that's when those comps were massive, like in every hot topic, um, and we got a lot of attention from that. So, you know, I I gotta thank victory for, for yeah. helping us out
0: <laughs> yeah i know that's 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 crazy man well let's go back even further let's go back to the yeah. beginning um i know you're from new jersey mm-hmm. uh and that's about all i know really um about yeah. the, you know i know i know you from like maybe the time you were 20 on but right. but yeah. the first 20 years of your life i have no idea so do you mind cool. talking about that what was it like for you growing up and uh and everything in yeah. new jersey
1: yeah so I grew up in Jersey. Um, I went to a private uh, Jewish day school my whole life, so from like pre k through twelfth grade. um so in in my class was about like fifty kids that I graduated high school with. So it's very like insulated. but um mm-hmm. uh, I got into music in like sixth grade and I started playing drums and I told my my two best friends at the time, my friend Evan, I told Evan to start playing bass and my friend Jeremiah to start playing guitar. He <laughs>
0: told them and. Then, uh,
1: but, I mean, they would have done it anyway, but yeah, I was, I was pretty much like we need to play in a band. So from sixth grade to eighth grade, we basically like covered like um, 25% of Nirvana songs and like No Doubt songs in my mom's basement. Um, and then when we got to high school, we met this kid, Matt, um, and at that point we had discovered punk rock and we were listening to a lot of like No Effects and stuff. So we had him come on board and be the singer of our band, which we called Random Task. And so from um, that point on through high school... Um, I did this band called random task and we put out a couple of albums and, um, you know, we're really like, we were playing shows like three times a weekend, four times a weekend.
0: And And you're um, playing playing drums.
1: I was playing drums the whole time. Yeah. But throughout the course of that, um, we would practice at my mom's house and they would leave their guitars there. And, um, during the week I would like go downstairs and I started teaching myself guitar and I started, uh, kind of like writing songs and then by senior year when we recorded, um, what would be our last album, I actually, um, wound up writing like, you know, 75% of the songs Cause I was playing guitar and writing lyrics at that point. And then, um, after senior year, uh, for summer break, before we all went to college, that's when I was like, all right, I don't want to play drums in this band anymore. And then I, um, made a demo myself with two songs on it. Uh, one of the first one was uh, dream to make believe. And th- wow. I, that was the band that I called armor for sleep. And then we had been kind of talking to labels in our old band um, in random tasks when we were in high school. And I kind of reached out to a couple of those labels with my demo for armor for sleep, you know uh, when I was a, a freshman in college and that's kind of how everything started.
0: Crazy. So you, yeah. you were in a, basically in a class, like a private school class of only 50 and you find like a, through other people that liked music and could play? Yeah, well, we,
1: we um, you know, my friend Evan and Jeremiah, we discovered the scene, which was like a scop punk hardcore scene in New Jersey at the time when right. we were in about like seventh grade. So then for two years, our minds were just blown by these shows that were going on in New Jersey. And by the time we got to high school, when we met Matt, who was our singer, he had also been going to shows. So then we just kept, um, you know, digging deeper into punk rock and we were we were like super like crust punky kids and then you know that <laughs> kind of transitioned into more like getting into hardcore and post-hardcore as we went on through high school
0: so your parents i mean if you're playing drums you know any any parents that allow their kid to play drums are usually pretty cool parents um yeah so your parents were really supportive they didn't mind you guys making a racket like you yeah know, well it, all was, the time. it was
1: my mom you know my parents were divorced so okay. uh, it was just um, my mom's house, uh, luckily the house that we lived in, I think in the fifties in the basement, there had been some like independent, like radio stations. So the walls were like kind of soundproof. Um, and that's why my mom let me play drums down there, even though it was like not really soundproofed at all. Like the neighbors always complained, but yeah, my mom was super supportive because like from sixth grade on my whole life was music and it was just like, that's just what I did, you know? Um, Yeah. So it was great.
0: So the success came pretty quickly then, I guess, like from when you made this yeah. demo, you know, mm-hmm. you're, like, you're not even a singer, you're not even a guitar totally. player. You don't really have nope. any experience um, Absolutely. performing. And then you make this little demo and like fucking Victory Records is calling. Well, you know, yeah, I you mean, know I'm i sure it was a, like a yeah. little longer than I'm, than I'm making it out to no, be. No,
1: it literally wasn't. So okay, when, I made, okay. when, I made, when I made that two song demo, I think Random Task, we had – we had a manager at this time, uh, this guy Heath Miller. I don't know if you know Heath Miller. He does shows. I know Heath um, Miller really well. I know Heath yeah. Miller really well, and, and I know Heath <laughs> yes. Miller.
0: I mean, he still does our shows in New York, yeah. I think. But yep. I know him because he was managing Boys Night Out, and Boys Night Out was That's like funny. the local other local band from where I'm from, right? right? It Was yes. like, well, there's a few. There was like, you know, Silverstein and Boys Night Out, and then there was Alex on Fire and Monine. Mm-hmm. We were kind of like. I don't want to call us the Big Four, but it's something like that for Southern Ontario <laughs> yes. emo, you know. Um, so, so that's how I know Heath. But yeah, he's he's yeah. A, he's a New Jersey staple. That guy.
1: Yeah. So so Heath was um, our manager in high school, um, uh, like pretty much like the last couple of years. Anyway, he was like the business guy. But um, when I started Armor for Sleep, I kind of had like a couple contact numbers through like working with him. And I think the first demo, the first people I sent the the Armor for Sleep demo to was Victory. And like three days later, they called. um, You know, they called me and said, "Hey, tell us about your band." And (laughs) at that point, I had come back from the studio. I I recorded all the instruments myself. Like you said, it was the first time I had ever sung on anything. Like, not a singer. And um, and then they were like, you know, we want to potentially sign you. And it was really weird because all of high school, you know, my my old band, we'd been just doing everything, like working. And then, like immediately when I started this thing, yeah, like we, we got this attention. Um, it
0: was weird. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird. Yeah. And then instead of signing to Victory, you signed to Equal Vision, which is like the <laughs> like the biggest rival of Victory. Um, mm-hmm. But it was only a licensing deal, right? Which is kind of kind of a crazy yeah. thing for a brand new artist such as yourself to be able to kind of hook up. Was there a lot of interest from other labels and stuff too? Um. Yeah, there was. I mean, that I I mean, I'm sure, as
1: you know, like that time in the scene, it was like um, there was a lot of, you know, like victory and drive through where these like massive labels and the major labels were starting to sniff around and they were kind of like, you know, um, just getting wise to the scene. So so I, I think just for everybody, there was, you know, a lot of interest. But yeah, we. We, we definitely got interest. And then um, at that point in time, um, our manager was Gabe Saporta, who yeah. was um, in Midtown, although Midtown were like kind of on a hiatus at that point. So like he was um, just like managing us for like that year. And he's the one who who helped us um, with Equal Vision and, um, you know, convinced us that the best thing to do would be to license our record to them. And um, he's probably of, right. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was, it was weird though. Like, um, one negative thing that happened is like, we, like, I loved Brian McTernan and I always wanted to, um, yeah. record with him. And so we were actually going to do dream to make believe with McTernan. And then, um, basically our deal with equal vision kind of got like stalled. And I think, you know, they were like, uh, you know, we don't want to like pay for the record until it's, until the deals worked out, so then we went um, and made the record by ourselves in LA, and came back to them, and they were like, "Yeah, okay, we'll put it out." But like, part of me is like, that would have been so weird if we had done a record with McTernan. Um, if that would have been Dream to Make Believe, it would have been like totally different. Um,
0: uh, yeah, you wonder if it would have been or not. But the record, I, who? So who produced that first record anyway? Because I don't, um, I don't know offhand.
1: Uh, yeah, so it's this guy Ariel Reichstadt. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He was actually the singer from Hippos, um, and. Okay. Gabe knew him because Midtown had toured with the hippos and Ariel was just like starting to produce stuff. He went on to produce massive records. Like, I think he just did the, the last Madonna record and he did oh, all wow. the HAME stuff. And um, he did, I think his big, his big hit was he did uh, Hey There, Delilah. Like, oh. uh, um, it's funny on his discography. Uh, I've never seen Dream to Make Believe on there, but I'll <laughs> well, <don't> blame him. <laughs> it's, it's a good,
0: it's a good sounding record, and McTurn is Fair an saying. amazing producer. Guy's a legend. Yeah. He gets talked about on this show pretty regularly, actually. Um, totally. Because I think he's doing, yeah, he's doing like the new Sharptooth record, and I just, I just had Lauren on the other day, and so he's, you know, he's still a guy making awesome records. Um, but I don't know. That's one of those yeah. things you look back and you, and you wonder what if. But there is a certain sound on Dream to Make Believe that I thought maybe because you didn't make it in the like realm of the scene, like you went totally. o- outside that maybe they gave your guys sound like maybe something a little bit, you know, different or special. I don't know.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, that's the thing with me. I don't think, yeah, I think with McTernan, it would have been like way more like the sounds of the scene at the time. Cause that's what I was into. Like, I, like that Recover EP, right. You know, that McTernan did was just like, you know, amazing. And, um, we loved all the thrice stuff. He
0: did early thrice stuff, right? Yeah. Did he? Maybe he did. I don't even even know. I I just just know he did all the hot water music records. And that's like I was what I was obsessed with back in those days. Um, Yeah. But wow.
1: Yeah, I I think I think we yeah, I think I think for what it was uh, like, I think Dream to Make Believe um, sounds good. And Ariel definitely got the best vocals that I possibly could have done at that time, which was, you know, I'm not sure any other producer could have really helped me when I was still figuring shit out. So um, I give credit to him.
0: Well, it was a hard it was a much harder era back then to like fix a singer that was still learning. You know what I mean? I feel like these days there's like 20 different auto tune programs and like all the shit you can do. Back then it was like not not as easy.
1: Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And I mean, the truth is, like, I wasn't a good singer then. And I I don't think any amount of auto tuning can make (laughs) you sound good if you just don't know how to kind of like use that instrument. You know what I mean? Um, What well, I mean, you know, I think there, there's no like perfect record. I just know that at that point of like how I was singing, it was not, you know, it, like that was the best that it was going to sound at well, that
0: point. Well, I mean, I was obsessed with the, I probably listened to that record. Thanks, like I probably listened to that record like a thousand times. Like I I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe literally a thousand Thanks, times. Man. Um, Thank who you. played drums on that record? Cause I know that Nash wasn't in the yeah. band yet. Right.
1: So, um, we went out to LA, uh, you know, Gabe wanted us to make the record on his own, so it was kind of self-funded. We slept on basically his friends' floors, and I went out there with Anthony, who is our bass player, who is yeah. always our bass player, and these two other guys in the band, um, Paul and AJ, was a drummer who I knew from New Jersey. And we get out there, and basically in the middle of the recording, Ariel um, was like, uh, "I don't know if these guys are 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 ready. You know, maybe they should like go home and like practice a little bit more." So they went home to practice a little bit more, and um, Ariel hired a, co- uh, a studio musician to play drums on it. Um, who this, this guy was a shredder. I think his name was Bill Leffler or something. He was fucking awesome.
0: Bill, Leffler. Um, I always, I always wondered because the drums, so, yeah. the drums on the record are are like amazing.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. Th- this guy was awesome. Um, and then, so since Gabe was managing us, uh, we had like a couple weeks to finish the album. And he was like, hey, when you guys get back from L.A., do you want to go on tour with Midtown? Um, this band called Taking Back Sunday is opening up <laughs> and Recover is opening up. And I was like, yeah, but like these, these two other guys, you know, we sent home from L.A. and we don't have two other people. So I called my friends Nash and PJ, who were in a band at the time called Prevent Falls, which was on Equal yeah, Vision. And I was, I, like, I was like, hey, yeah, they were a good band. I was like, do you guys want to go on tour with Midtown? Uh, In like four days, so when Anthony and I got back from LA, we just practiced in Nash's basement, and then we were on tour, and that was the band.
0: There you go, and it was the same members the whole time.
1: Yeah, and then it was it was all four of us the whole time.
0: Yeah, crazy man. I love I love these 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 uh, these kinds of stories. Um, And then I guess like you know to say like it exploded, it didn't exactly explode overnight. You guys, you know, put in the hard work, and you did a bunch of tours, lots lots of stuff with us. Um, mm-hmm. I remember the the one tour we were on together was with um, From Dawn to Ashes, which was which was kind of a for us it was kind of like our first big tour.
1: Yeah, I so, mean definitely for us it was that was our our first big tour as well.
0: Yeah, I mean it's just crazy thinking back, but um, I, you know w- w- what what kind of happened in in those early days of kind of figuring out the ropes of you know being being in a band and realizing <sighs> at whatever age you were you're probably like what twenty one.
1: Um, I wasn't even, no, I was like, that was 20,
0: Wow. Okay. So you're a bit, you're a bit younger than me, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like at that age, just all of a sudden being kind of thrust into this like professional music career. Mm-hmm. I mean, was that a lot for you to just handle, especially as a person, maybe not that comfortable with what you're doing? Um, Totally. It was, it was always really weird. Just, you know, the whole
1: thing, like when I, when I made that demo, I expected everything to take a long time, but to get the me- the immediate response, was almost like, <laughs> really? Like you like it? And I, I always felt that way when we were starting to play too, because we had uh, someone like Gabe who was like, loved us so much. And then, um, you know, people like you who like friends from other bands who, who were like, man, you got, this is, this is the album. And like, I remember taking back Sunday, like Adam and Eddie were always like, this is like the best record ever. And I never, I never felt that way. And and especially like playing those first few shows, we didn't really have anybody coming to see us. So it was this really weird thing where I was so stoked to be on tour, but it was also weird that like I had people telling us that we were, you know, destined to be this thing and they were, they really liked us. So I was dealing with that, but then also dealing with like, okay, well then why aren't people at the shows? And it was just like, there was a lot of weird stuff going on at once um, (laughs) for that, for that record.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's funny. I remember, I don't know if the record had come out yet or I think we might have got like an early copy of it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'd have to look at what date the album came out. But I remember we were in New Jersey and these kids, they like, it was weird. The kids like worked at this pizza shop and then we went there like, you know, after like it closed and we were able to make our own pizza or whatever. And the kid was wearing an armor for sleep hoodie. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, I like love that band. Like. You know, and this is like before. I guess I knew what you guys were, you know, doing. I didn't know what label you were on or anything. And he's like, he's like, oh, and and I traded him uh, from the shirt I was wearing, which was a full blast shirt. This band, mm-hmm. this band from Canada. He's like, oh my god, the full blast! Like I'm never going to be able to get that merch. So I <laughs> traded him for a uh, for an armor for sleep. I think it was a hoodie, and I I think I still have it,
1: which oh, is crazy. Amazing, so man.
0: it's like really like really primitive armor for sleep like merch <laughs> before you guys were signed or something. So that's so, funny. Yeah. I just ha- had this random thing come into my head, but yeah, but it's wild, man. So you guys get some success and you know, you do some tours and you, you gain a little bit of maturity mm-hmm. and then you make the record. Uh, <laughs> the, I mean, come on. This is the, this is like uh, become a very classic record. If, if you want to call, call it the scene. I mean yeah. very special record What to do when you were dead um, A record that has a Extremely like high concept Very in depth mm. uh, That's the kind of thing that You know you don't just shit out right. um, So talk to me about how that all happened How you got the idea To put this record together And you know Working with Machine And, and all that that stuff that kind of happened Even the artwork with like Asterix um,
1: mm-hmm. Oh yeah they were great
0: yeah. Yeah. I had, I had, um, the asterisk dude, you know, from demon hunter on the show mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago. So we were talking about oh, you nice. know all those old, all those, that old artwork and stuff that from yeah. that era, if, if you don't mind, I just would love to hear, you know, the long version.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, so the first song that we demoed from that album was car underwater. And I think maybe remember to feel real. And I didn't, I didn't know that I wanted to do a concept album at that point. And then once we had those two songs, which I felt were like kind of accidentally like written from the perspective of someone who was dead. um, After we made that demo, I was like, man, it would be, it would be cool if I could like do a whole, a whole, you know, album from that perspective. And I remember getting a little bit of of, uh, pushback from it. Like, you know, people were like, eh, let's just do like a, you know, just another like normal album, but I don't know. I just, I really thought it was a cool idea. I mean, I've always loved out like my favorite album of all time, I guess the, the album that I basically learned how to play guitar to was, um, okay. Computer by Radiohead. And that to me was always like, um, you know, it just always had like, I don't, there's not necessarily a story there, but it just always, uh, was like its own entity. And so I think my head was just kind of like in that space a lot. And then I just, uh, took it and ran with it and, t- uh, talked to a couple different producers about it. And we, um, when Midtown started playing again, Gabe, uh, Midtown were managed by crush, um, which is a, a management company that are like, you know, very big now. And he was basically like, I want to start playing with mid, with Midtown again. Would you guys uh, manage armor for sleep? And they were like, sure. And they managed, um, machine at the time who was right. a producer, right. And he had done uh, Clutch, and he did um, he did Lamb of God, uh, very similar to us. And also, he did a band called Emmanuel that yes. um, we were friends with at the time. And and so originally, when they were like, "Hey, you should talk to Machine about your idea," I was like, "The Lamb of God, dude." I was like, "Okay." And then um, <laughs> and then Emmanuel went with them, and we'd been friends with Emmanuel. And I remember going to the studio and listening to their record and being like, "This is fucking awesome," and Machine is yeah. awesome. So then I talked to Machine about, about the idea and he loved it and he was really, um, helpful in like wanting to like map out the whole thing. So we had this like extensive, like pre-production, uh, rehearsal, like a couple weeks of that where we just like mapped everything out and he was like fully on board with helping us do that. And, um, it's crazy. I remember, I remember, I think I had my 21st birthday when we were recording that album. Um, it's just nuts. Like when I, when I look at it, 20 year old person now i'm like you're a fucking baby what are you doing
0: right Uh, isn't it amazing to to do that and think about how kind of dumb you were it's like how 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 were you so i mean dumb is not the right word i mean i guess it's kind of the right word but like it's more like you were just so ignorant to just how everything worked in the world and then it's like how the fuck are you able to actually make something so good when you really don't know how like the world works or anything, well, that, that always yes. blows my mind when you when young people can do that. Like
1: totally, and you know what? I think I think I kind of have I figured out like an answer. <laughs> okay, I think. Well, I think you know, as I said before, like for dreams to make believe, it was this weird stuff. Like I remember Gabe telling us that we made a mistake by making too good of a record first, and then I feel like it was kind of a letdown <laughs> after that album came out because there were all these labels that were so stoked on us. And by the end of that cycle, you know, we weren't like, we, we, I mean, we, we were like slightly popular, but it wasn't like this big thing. And I feel like for the next record, no one was really like paying attention and there were no, you know, we were just kind of off doing our, a weird thing. And there was just no, um, there was no pressure because nobody, nobody was like watching us, you know? And I think that when kids do really creative stuff, it's it's a lot of the times when, you know, no one's looking, you know, and they're just feel free to be weird and they're not concerned about, you know, who's you know living up to expectations or anything. And I think that's kind of where my head was at. I was like, all right, fuck it. Like no one really cared about the first record. (laughs) Uh, Let's just do, you know, something cool and see what happens.
0: You know it's it's such a di- and you're wrong. A lot of people did care about that record and it still <laughs> sold like a 100,000 copies or something. Like it yeah. was still big. Yeah. But there's such right. a difference in the world from back then to now, which yes. I guess like people forget that back then like I didn't even have a cell phone. You know what I mean? Like we would go on yeah. tour and I didn't have a I didn't Lab have quest. a cell phone. I didn't have a computer. Yeah. I didn't have anything. I was just in the van. And mm-hmm. I would like all day, we would like listen to music and talk. And like, if we had to do, this is really funny. If we had to do an interview, we would pull over at a gas station. I would go on a pay phone. I would call yeah. victory records collect. And then they would connect me to whoever I had to do the interview with. And then we would just wait. Like if it was like, let's just say like a half an hour, we would just wait at the gas station until i had done the interview. And then we'll get back in the van and uh, continue on our drive. And then we'd get to the that's show, so we'd funny. load in, we'd hang out, we'd play, we'd talk to fans, you know, sell merch, yeah. get back in. There was no like going on the internet to check on like how our right. Instagram post is doing or like, totally. you know, there's, there was no analytics of, of how, exactly. how well anything was doing except like, oh, you guys sold this many albums this week. It's like, oh, okay, that's, right. that was like the only sort of um, uh, thermometer you had to how your career was doing. Right. And and it was so nowadays it's like you everyone has this instant you instantly know exactly instant grat- like yeah. gratification or or lack of gratification to to mm-hmm. everything ever, literally everything that you do. So right. so it's it's like you might have thought because oh there's only like 250 people at the show like not that many people really care but in actuality a lot of people really really did care. But that's good yeah. that you didn't have that pressure because the pressure can make things hard. I mean, like, let's look at your third record, um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get there. No, absolutely. Uh, but, absolutely. But, you know, I think that that's really something that we, people really forget is just how it's only been, you know, 15 years or not even, but how Ooh. much just everything has changed.
1: Yep. You're right.
0: Crazy, man. Um, and man, Emmanuel, what a band.
1: Oh, so you they know, we fizzled really, out,
0: man. Didn't they? Like they didn't last long. And that yeah, record, I mean, soundtrack to Headrush, what a record!
1: I was just listening. Uh, my wife and I were just like rocking out to it, and I was like, you know, I was I was trying to explain to her. I was like, you know, this record like never caught on, and she was like, I don't understand that. And I was like, as good as it is, it just wasn't on the pulse of like the sound that people wanted in the scene, even though it's fucking amazing. You know, it's such a good record. I think
0: there was a lot of weird things that happened with like management and stuff too though. Like I remember the the record was so good and the band was so good. They like kind of babied them too much. Like they were like waiting for the perfect tour. And then like right. they they had to roll out the like first single like perfectly. And all like all this shit. It was like just put the goddamn record out and like let the band yeah. go on tour and it'll it'll figure itself out, you know? But I mean, it was
1: on it was on Vagrant, and that was I remember being like, "Oh my God, they're on Vagrant. This yeah. is gonna just like be so big," and then it just never did. And I
0: was like, "What?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that like? That song? Uh, my friends can't breathe underwater. Oh, like, so, like that so song good. is just like it's just a hit, man.
1: Dude, if you listen to that record, every song is good. It's insane.
0: Uh, yeah, it's been years since I listened to it, but it's I still yeah. I still remember that melody like. Oh yeah, it's so good It's crazy man, yeah well um, You also, I remember I, I, Correct me if I'm wrong But there was like a DVD that came out Or something with the the What to do when you are dead CD2, right?
1: Yeah, so originally uh, With the first couple pressings There was like uh, the album And then another disc of like the making of And then we had like a touring DVD That Equal Vision released separately Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah
0: I think I have them both kicking around somewhere
1: Dude, I, I don't know. I would like to see that behind the scenes from the studio thing because I don't even know. I don't know where that lives anymore. Like I don't. I wouldn't know how to get a copy of that.
0: Um, well, if, if I can find mine and yeah. I <laughs> think I actually know where it is, I'll send it to you. Thanks, man. <laughs> how funny That'll is that? Awesome. But yeah, I, yeah. I will. Because um, I remember. It's funny that you. I mean, I remember it being like pretty cool that you guys were just like, "All right, this is how we made this record," and like you weren't afraid to show. And maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but like you're in this vocal booth, like recording, and mm-hmm. it was just that like, giving the fans that kind of perception. Uh, uh, per- sorry, perspective was pretty yeah. was pretty different. Totally. Who Who's idea, you who know, idea you was know, that?
1: I don't know, but um, that did well, and so did the DVD we did after. And it's interesting now because now it's everything is so content driven. And like, yeah. you like, of course you, 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 you know, put up an Instagram story or like want to give fans videos. But like, I remember then it was such like a new idea and you know, um, yeah, I, I just remember that being the first time where I was like, Oh, maybe people like content and like seeing, uh, stuff from their bands instead of just like living behind this veil.
0: Yeah. Um, no. so
1: I don't, I don't know whose idea it was actually.
0: No, it's, it's, yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. You guys were definitely ahead of your time, you know, yeah. doing that kind of stuff. Cause the internet wasn't really like, you couldn't, another thing people forget is that you couldn't really watch videos on the internet because everyone's internet connections were like too slow to, <laughs> to stream, you know, like That's true. to stream stuff. So, if, you know, videos were on TV and then sometimes, you know, you'd, you'd kind of like I don't know. Someone would have a good DSL like connection or something, and you'd be able to to watch something. But it was like rare, um, mm-hmm. you know, or you'd have to wait like forever for it to load. Um, so you know, times have changed. So it's it's kind of cool that you guys did that and put it like a you know a, in a DVD, which was a thing. Yeah, kind of wild.
1: Yeah, it was interesting.
0: So you had a huge amount of success with this album, yeah. your second album. Yes. Not a lot of pressure when you're making it, and mm-hmm. because you signed this licensing deal. With equal vision, I guess probably for only two albums, you find yourselves coming off an album that sold like a quarter million copies or something. Right. And you're free agents, and now, like you said, the scene has grown a little bit and the major labels are sniffing mm-hmm. around and they they sniffed you out.
1: Totally. Yeah, uh, let me see, what year was that? Yeah, when did when did like my chem break? Um, like when, when did I'm not okay come out?
0: Uh like like on the radio and stuff like when it started getting big? Yeah, like MTV. It was like 05 like I think or it was maybe yeah, like so early 06.
1: Yeah, so it was around that time the major labels were like all right the scene you know is going to be big. And um and so yeah because we we didn't sign a long-term contract it's like the music industry you know just like was started closing in on us because unlike dream to make believe what to do when you Were dead actually sold like you know, like you said, like a lot. And also um, Equal Vision did a fucking fantastic job. I got to credit um, Tom Mullen, uh, who worked over there at getting <laughs> getting uh, the car underwater video like on MTV. And they actually got it to like kind of break into this other stratosphere that Equal Vision had never gotten to before. Um, yeah. Anyway, so after after that album, yeah, major labels were just like basically trying to find the next whatever my Chem or brand new or fallout boy. And because we were free agents and we had, you know, the success off that album, um, we, we kind of, the ball was in our court. Like, do we want to re-sign with equal vision or do we want to go this major label route? Um,
0: yeah. So, yeah. So you did. So, so, so we did. It was, so was, <laughs> was it Sire? Yeah, it was
1: Sire, which is an imprint off Warner Brothers. It was this guy named Michael Goldstone, who was, like, the head dude of Sire. Michael Goldstone had signed and uh, and discovered, like, Pearl Jam and Rage Against the Machine. I think those were, like, his big things or whatever. And um, he was just a dude, and he, you know, he was a fan, and um, he, you know, basically, I don't think he like swindled us, but we, we went into it thinking, you know, we want to be like a career band and this is going to be the right home for us because they don't want us to make, you know, a a radio hit. They want to, you know, help us get to the next point of our career and, and just help kind of um, help, just keep help helping us make great art. You know, that's, that's at least why I thought, you know, like, okay, Cool. I mean, looking back on it now, Equal Vision would have done the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess just at the time, the situation seemed like, OK, kind of keep doing what we've doing, uh, what we've been doing or take the second route, which is like, OK, keep doing what we're doing. Plus, it could be even bigger, you know, so sure, sure, um, which I don't think necessarily was the correct viewpoint, um, you know. But that's kind of where we were at the time. So
0: what was the thing going in? Because you made the record with Machine again. Um, right. It doesn't sound like a Machine record. You know what I mean? Like he he, he had kind of a, a certain sound and right. the songs have a lot of like, I don't know how to how to describe it. Like from a songwriting perspective, it's like there's not a lot of like classic chord progressions. It's like a lot of the songs go to like kind of the off chord, you know, where you're writing like. Like a melody that's that's a little bit like outside the box. Yeah. Um, was that all like a conscious thing to to kind of go that way? Was so, there just so much pressure yeah. that you didn't know like which way to go? L- well, I'll like- tell you
1: exactly. Um, so before we went in to make the third album, it was kind of like making the second album, where I didn't feel like we had a lot of pressure. Like everything was really cool. Like we signed, we were signing with this cool label. They just wanted us to do their thing. So we were like home from whatever tour it was like, I I had a a very good sense just from being in the scene of like, when you need to come out with another record, um, you know, like you can't wait eight years to put out another record. Like, you know, like I just, I just knew like, okay, it's about that time where we need to like get back in the studio. So we did our normal thing. We went home, we made demos. I think we, we made like uh, 11 or 12 song demos. And in my head, I was like, this is the album. Like I'm stoked on these songs. Um, you know, this is just like how we did what to do in your dead and dream to make believe. Like I, I like sequenced the whole album out. It like made yeah. sense to me. Um, and I handed it in and I was like, all right, like, you know, let's, let's find a producer and record this in the next month. And at that moment, like, you know, when they basically came back to us is when I realized how shit was different on a, on a major label, which is, you know, <laughs> they did the major label thing, which is basically like, this is cool, but keep writing, you know? And I, I was like. OK, so it took like another couple months, kept writing. I was like, oh, man, you know, I didn't want to see these few songs go. I thought they'd be really cool. And then, like, you know, just that process repeated and repeated and repeated. Um, so from a writing perspective, I, I'd i be curious to know if I'd been like, fuck you guys. These are the, the 12 songs. This is going to be a cool record. Um, it might not have like I'm not OK on it, but like it'll be great. And like I know our fans right. will be into it. Um, and so basically we, um, machine, the machine thing happened, we went in to record with this guy named Ben Gross who had done, um, Marilyn Manson and filter and actually like really cool, heavy records. And we were in LA and a similar thing happened there where we had done like eight songs and the label was like, this is cool, but maybe we should fire that producer and go with someone else. And, um, wow.
0: So there's a lot it- of meddling going on basically.
1: Way way more than the second record where nobody cared. Because at this point, our management company, which was Crush, they were pretty big. Like, Fall Out Boy was, like, you know, a big deal. So I think they were a little bit more, like, wanting to, like, make sure that their artists were successful. And obviously Warner Brothers is a huge label, and they wanted to make sure that we were successful. Everybody has good intentions, but once you get to a certain point, you know, Every, yeah, there's just too many cooks in the kitchen, I think.
0: Right, right. Well, how are you doing personally at this point, too? Because there's, like, some talk, you know, I remember back in the day that, like, you know, maybe you weren't in the best place, you know, personally, like, with, you know, having your shit together.
1: Um, honestly, from what I remember, I think, I think I was okay.
0: Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, so... I, That's okay. Yeah. I I don't know. It's just, it seemed like the record was so, the record fell flat, you know? Um, Totally. And and, and I guess like, I
1: mean, yeah. Another, another thing, like for instance, like in the writing process, I can give you like a concrete example. Yeah. After a certain point, you know, you're like, all right, nobody's stoked on these songs. Let's just try something out of the box. And, you know, um, so like an example of that is like uh, our song Williamsburg, which is like cool it was like, i oh, let's just, just try this fucking song. And honestly, it was just like to give them something different. And like, it's always those songs that when you submit them, they're like, this is the song. And so like, that was a song that like we put at the end of a demo um, that they were like, no, this, this is it. I think probably just because they were bored of hearing all of our songs. And um, you know, that's just a weird place to be when you're just like trying to get the label excited. So you write <laughs> weird things to see if that will like wake them up. And I feel like you know, so then we put out a record of just, like, a weird hodgepodge of stuff.
0: Um, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of just, it was crazy, though, how, you know, you guys managed to put out two really good records. A third record that was, I mean, it's not a terrible album. Like, there's still yeah. some some really great moments on that album. and But yeah, it, seemed, it seemed like it, the fall from grace was very fast. Like, you guys went from yeah. just having all the success and, you know, playing pretty big headlining shows to, like, not doing anything and then breaking up in, like, a year. <laughs> totally. And then no one ever heard from you again. Totally. And it's been 12 years. Like, seriously, other than coming back and doing some, like, reunion yeah. stuff, it was, like, just fell off the face of the fucking earth. Totally. And, and like, uh, what, what happened? Like, what went on there?
1: Yeah, so, like, so I kind of... I did my best to kind of explain, like you know, just like the clusterfuck of that third record, yeah. And also, so it was it was a clusterfucky kind of collection of songs or whatever. But when it came out, it had just been too long. That's the bottom line. Like, um, it just was past the point of time where like people's attention spans were starting to get you know smaller and smaller, and like we needed to put out a record like a year before that one came out. So it was late, and it wasn't that good. Um, and it was just weird, like, you know, on a major label, like Equal Vision were actually like pushing us. I, I think uh, the major label just kind of thought things would continue on their own. And they it, we just didn't feel like we had that active push. So then basically after all of that, we got to a point where it's like, do we try and rally, get everyone excited again, try and like redeem ourselves and then just be in this weird. I just felt like we'd be in this weird Dark place for years of just like trying to get people stoked, trying to like prove that we could write that good album again. And I don't know, I, it, it was just like a little bit daunting to me. And, I, and you know, I was like, eh, like it just, I, I feel like I don't want to, you know, I, I just didn't want it to get any messier at that point. And I thought we'd done, you know, really cool stuff with the first couple records. And you know, I thought I always thought like what Refused did was kind of weird, but kind of awesome because they just didn't like keep trying to dig themselves out of whatever. Um, you know, they just let that album kind of live on after themselves. And, right? You know, I, I guess I kind of wanted to do that.
0: Um, right? Did you have a plan? Like, I mean, I don't exactly know what you've been doing for the last ten years. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, really, I, I, was the what was the plan? T- <gasps> after the band broke up, like I know you had the little electronic project for a minute, um, but you hadn't, I mean, you haven't really done anything in music. Uh, What, what's, what have you been doing?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I guess, I guess the bottom line, I just like, I I guess I realized, um, you know, I was never, I I don't know. I think, I think social media kind of, when social media started coming out it made me realize that like i'm not the kind of guy who's like constantly like look over here look at me like i'm going to do this like i feel like armor for sleep just became popular kind of like accidentally but like i never had to be that guy and like moving forward if i wanted right. to be the singer in a band i feel like with social media and everything it's hard it's hard to do it and not kind of have that thing and i just i didn't i didn't really want to do that after after that so
0: yeah. yeah, well I, I totally. I know you and I know that you know you there are, are
1: exceptions and you're you're an exception. Like I always thought of you as like a very non douchey lead singer. Like I always <laughs> well, you know what I mean? It. I was always like, Man, Shane is just like <laughs> a normal dude who's fucking awesome. But, you know, there are those dudes who are like the singers, you know, the singer of the band that's I just didn't want to be that guy, you know yeah. what I mean? Um Yeah. So
0: Well, I mean, just as a songwriter and just, you know, everything like as a musician and how, you know, you're able to put together this two song demo and like everyone gets so excited about it. Then you put out these two amazing records and the third one, I mean, you got fucked over. I'm just, it was like, I just like, what's this guy doing? This guy's amazing. Why is this guy not, not putting music out into the world? That that's kind of my question, you know? Um, and I guess you just, part of it was you were just disillusioned with the whole thing. Is that fair?
1: I guess I mean a couple things. One, I honestly feel like if if we had gotten like as big as Silverstein was or like Taking Back Sunday, it would have been harder to like walk away. But I remember somebody said that, said to me once, like you're you're lucky that you guys never got like just a little bigger. You know what I mean? Because like to me, it's like I feel like it, there was just wasn't that like a massive pull to like need to stay in it you know
0: I, I guess um, but I thought you guys were really big like I thought you guys were as big as Silverstein I mean you guys I sold as many so. sold as many records I mean maybe, maybe but not quite I, I but, but close I mean if you were on victory you would have been definitely as big right yeah <laughs>
1: um yeah I don't know I, honestly I think for me too a lot of it was like um to make a, a stupid analogy I remember when I was a kid like I really like loved like you know magic like card tricks and like I'd figure them out so I could show them to my friends and I I just always remember like once you figure out the trick and you figure out how to do it it, it's not magic anymore you know and I feel like for me the music process like I still love music but like that machine of it like once I like figured out like how to make it work from the other side. I I do feel like, like I lost the magic to like want to keep doing it. Like it's, mm. it didn't, it wasn't that special thing that it was when I was 16, like screaming, screaming my head off to save the day, like in a basement, you know, it yeah. just like, it, I don't know, maybe there was too much heartbreak, um, with everything that happened yeah. with the band where, you know, it was, it was just tough to want to put myself in that position again. And again, like, you know, just like, I don't have that personality of wanting you know, you know the spotlight to be on me all the time. Yeah. like,
0: yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you guys made all those songs um, for Sire and a lot of them got shut down, is there other stuff? Do you guys have other stuff recorded? Is is there anything that never <laughs> saw the light of day?
1: Yeah, there is, and we we've talked about maybe putting some stuff out. Um, I know, I think next year is the 15 uh, year anniversary of uh, What to Do When You're Dead. I know Equal Vision are going to do um, maybe I don't know I haven't talked to them about it, but maybe some kind of pressing or something. And so I was thinking maybe there there's like stuff worth um, putting out on
0: yes in yes, some please. way yes please, please I don't do know it. there's
1: also a lot of stuff not worth putting out I will say that <laughs> so um, but yeah I don't know I, I miss it and like you know I, I'm I'm different than I, I think at the beginning I was like not bitter, but I was like, fuck this. Like, I don't like, I don't even care to like, like want to be like explain myself in any way. And now like I'm more open to the possibility of like, you know, putting stuff out or, or whatever. Um,
0: yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's cool. Um, yeah. So I have a couple fan questions here. Oh, sure. (laughs) Uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, Yeah, no, no, no. Um, this question is you're married to Katrina Bowden. Yes. Who people know from mostly from 30 rock, but she's been in a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. Um, is it true? You went to high school together. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Um, but how did you guys meet? And, uh, Mm -hmm. I guess that's just the question.
1: Um, so part a is no, that is not true. We did not go to high school together. (laughs) But you're both from New Jersey, right? Yeah. We're both from New Jersey. Uh, she went to, um, private catholic school so we actually met on the set of a fallout boy music video um the dance dance music video which if you go on youtube you can watch it um she was um in the video and i i think about this all the time because our manager alex at the time called me that morning was like hey fallout boy is doing a music video in uh upstate new york and the guy who directed it is this guy alan ferguson who had just uh directed the music video for our song the truth about heaven like a few weeks before he said do you want to come to the music video shoot i was like uh i don't know and then i decided to go and it's just weird to think like if i had just been lazy and not gone i would not have met uh, my wife yeah anyway i went there and uh she was in the music video and i was like i was on set and i was like who is this like blonde model that they flew in for the shoot and then um I realized that she was just a 16 year old girl from New Jersey who lived a couple towns over from me. Um, so we started talking that day, uh, hung out a little bit and then we didn't talk for five years. And then we ran into each other in New York, um, when we were, uh, proper adults. And, um, <laughs> we've been together ever since.
0: No, but it's, it's, it's just,
1: just, it's cool. I can watch that video and just see that that's literally the day the that day I met, met my wife.
0: Uh, I love that. Yeah, That's adorable. That's adorable. Yeah. Okay. Uh, two more fan questions if you don't mind. Sure. Um, This one is, this was from Ian Scott, not to be confused Mm -hmm. with Scott Ian. Um, Okay. (laughs) When when did he find his passion and talent for photography and was that path always the plan after music? Yeah. Is that what you're doing now? Are you doing photography?
1: Yeah, I am. I am doing photography. So uh, Katrina and I moved out to LA a few years ago and um, kind of stumbled, you know, I'd I'd kind of been taking pictures on the side, um, like you know, most people and bought like a semi nice camera. And then, um, just kind of started getting, uh, you know, opportunities from people who are like, do you want to, do you want to shoot this? And so I just started saying yes to stuff that I thought was interesting. So I've been, that's something that I've been doing out here, which is cool. Um, so I didn't, I didn't even think about photography when I was in armor for sleep. And I wish I did because there were some photographers, that I know about now that took pictures of us that I'm like, I wish I had been fucking paying attention a little bit more. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just something that, uh, I think it's really, um, uh, uh, just cool. And it, it's, it's, uh, a universal way to tell stories I think. So it's just something, um, that's like a more recent passion of mine.
0: Cool. I love, I love yeah. that. And one last question, this is from Mart- Martin, Jacobson out of Sweden. Uh, Martin asks, was the movie Truman Show inspire the inspiration for the song Smile for the Camera?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Truman Show was definitely, yeah, up there. There were a couple other similar kind of things, but yeah, it was definitely playing off that idea, um, of feeling like, you know, you're in your own, um, reality show and like nothing is was real around you and all the relations all the relationships you have are fake that's definitely how right. i was feeling at the time
0: right damn dude um very intense uh so well <laughs> dude th- thank you man so much for taking the time um to speak with me and it's just so nice yeah, just man. on a personal note lo- you know on a personal level just to catch up with you man and um keep in touch and let me know what's up i hope, I, sure, hope we can hang out sometime that would be awesome, man. Are and, you um, are you living back on the East Coast now or are you still in LA? No. I'm in LA.
1: When's the next time you guys are here? Cool. Uh,
0: we're here we're we're playing we're doing a tour with uh, August Burns Red. And nice. I think we're playing at the Will Turn actually. Dude. So I
1: mean come hang. I'll have to hit you up for a guest list spot. I'm sure you've I, got tons of them in LA. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I'll make it I'll make it happen i'll definitely make it happen (laughs) Um, anything else to tell the people before i let you go any other i mean there's no other armor for sleep news really maybe the 15 year thing um anything else you you want to say anything else for people to check out
1: um
0: no man just like you
1: know for anyone out there that uh has been listening over the years like thank you and it's always nice to get like little messages um and just thank you shane i think what you're doing is awesome um And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, man.
0: Dude, thank you, Ben. Appreciate it, man.
1: Yeah, dude. No problem, man.
0: Take care. Peace. So there's my chat with Ben. So nice to catch up with him. Such a good old friend. And it's great to hear he's doing so well out in LA, doing photography. It's really, really great. I hope he puts out some music again. I want to hear what's in that brain musically. Cause I know there is some incredible stuff and man, maybe we're going to get some old armor for sleep unreleased material. Did you hear him say that? That is very, 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 very exciting. Give him a follow on social media at Ben Jorg. And again, a big thanks to Ben for taking the time to do this next week. I will be back with another brand new episode we got some good guests coming up, some really, really awesome stuff. I, I like the surprise. I feel like maybe it's best for me just to tell you who the guests are, but but there's some weird Tuesday morning, Christmas morning feeling that I want fans of the show to have where they're like, who's it going to be this week? And, and some excitement there. Maybe I'm just completely deluding myself. But regardless, please hit the subscribe button because we've got some really good stuff. Like Ryan from Yellow Card. He's coming up in a couple weeks. So yeah, we got some good ones. Some really, really good ones. So make sure that you are subscribed. Alright, so I always play music at the end of the show. And a little disclaimer before I pick the track. Now, if you heard the clip at the beginning, if you heard what Ben said and you're not familiar with the band, go on Spotify, listen to the popular ones, Car Underwater, The Truth About Heaven, "Dream to Make Believe. Those are great tunes but i'm gonna play one of my favorite songs from the dream to make believe album this brings me back to 2003 and driving in the van no air conditioning in the american south oh those were the good old days here is being your walls peace and love everyone see you next week